Hi, my name is Rich Fournier, and in this episode, I sit down with Canadian Olympian, Joseph Polosafakis. Now, Joseph has had an incredible journey from joining the high school fencing team in the beginning to individual gold medalists at the 2012 Pan American Games, then to hitting the top 30 as an Olympian in the Rio Olympics, to falling from grace to 400th in the world due to a concussion, and then all the way back again to top 30 again while using techniques like visualization. So stick around while Joseph shares how he overcame adversity and why he now feels that he's on top of his game. Have you ever wondered why some people thrive in all areas of their life? Welcome to the Peak Results Academy podcast with your host, Rich Fournier. Each week, we interview industry experts who consistently dominate in the fields of health, business, and beyond. Our mission is to share their personal struggles and strategies so that you can create your own peak results. Welcome to the Academy. Hey everybody, Rich Forney here and welcome back to our latest episode at Peak Results Academy podcast. And of course, in this podcast, we're absolutely focused on trying to dig down into the lives of successful people to figure out what has helped them and what's caused them to create a peak result in their life. On this episode, we're really grateful to be sitting down with Joseph Polisifakis, who is an Olympian. Um, he's been uh, very successful at the Pan Am Games in fencing and made it all the way to the Olympics. We're super excited, and hopefully he won't beat me and stick me with a sword for totally destroying his last name. So welcome to the podcast, Joseph. Thanks, and uh, don't worry. We're, we're too far away, so I could hurt you, so we're fine. It's, it's, right. uh, I'm here just with Toronto, and you're in yeah. Montreal right now. Yeah. So thanks for the intro. Um, I do want to give a little bit of background about you. Um, you uh, were part of the Canadian national team since 2009. Um, in 2010, uh, you were a member of the Sabre team that won a silver at the FIE World Junior Chan Championships. You then went on to be a double medalist at the Pan Am uh, Games in 2011. Um, you helped the Sabre team win a gold medal while claiming an individual bronze medal yourself. In 2012, you captured an individual gold, which is amazing, at the Pan American Championships, um, and then um, you ended up at the Olympics, qualified for the Olympics. And um, how did you end up? How did how did it work out at the Olympics? Uh, yeah, so the I made the the twenty sixteen Olympics uh, in Rio, and uh, I ended up finishing in uh, you know twenty twenty third something like that. The, the way it works, the Olympics is there's there's around thirty of us that get chosen around the world. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very few people get to go there. So the, the competition is pretty much if you're like 30th in the world, well, then you go against number one and then number two against 29 and, uh, direct elimination bouts, no round robins, no warm up. So you're, if you lose in your first round, I was ranked, you know, 29th in the world at the time. Yeah. And, uh, 20, 28th or something. And I actually, at the competition, I ended up fencing like the fifth or sixth in the world, depending on what my ranking was. And I, I lost the first round. Uh, so the, the, the day was over in 15 minutes. So oh, geez, it's, well, pretty, pretty, it's pretty heartbreaking. You know what? Let's, we're going way too far ahead here. My God. I mean, <laughs> 30 in the world. That's outstanding. You know, one of the things we like to do on this podcast is to you know, figure out what is actually created a peak result. Like what made that happen? What's the, what's the, the whole, you know, the, the sauce that made you, um, 
climbed to such a high level. And so maybe we can start off by, you know, telling me how did you get involved in, in the fencing world? How did that even start? Yeah, it was, you know, it was total luck. As a kid, obviously, I, I liked seeing, uh, you know, sword fighting and Zorro and all that stuff. But uh, when, when I first went to my high school at 12 years old uh, in Quebec, it was, it, it just, you know, happened to be the, one of the best high schools in the country for fencing. Uh, it was, it was renowned around the country and the coach had been there for, you know, 15 years. Uh, and, you know, when you co go to the schools, like trying out for the fencing team was like trying out for hockey or, you know, basketball or any one of those sports. And it actually, you know, it, it was around 50, 60 of us to try it out. And it was, the team was uh, cut down to 20 people. So it was very selective. And, uh, you know, I, I, I barely, uh, I, I almost didn't make the team at all because uh, the, the, the tryouts were actually pretty, um, uh, pretty interesting. The first day he made everybody run a mile. And if you didn't run a mile, you didn't even get a chance to try out for the fencing team or do anything fencing related. Uh, and at the time, I was more of a type of sprinting type. I liked soccer. I liked martial arts. I was doing it at the time. And I was more of a sprinting type athlete, but I wasn't like long distance type. And I never really ran a mile at that time. And I was pretty sure I was going to fail miserably. Uh, but what happened is the, the day of the, the, the mile, he, my, my class ran 15 minutes over time. So then I ran out at the end of the class. I came to see him and I saw kids running and some were in tears already who hadn't finished it. They were already cut from the team. And the others had finished it. They're all going back into the gym to start the, an actual fencing tryout. And then he told me, listen, you're cut. I'm sorry. Um, you, you didn't make it on time. Uh, I don't have time to, to make you run it. Uh, so I said, listen, I'm sorry. I, can I please run? I, my class went late. And he's like, listen, uh, okay, I didn't know your class went late. Now that I know that, come inside to do the rest of the training and then I'll make you run it sometime this week. Uh, I thought, I thought he was going to make me run it there and I was just going to collapse in front of everyone while everyone was watching. But at the end of the day, uh, I was lucky because he has a bad memory. So he, I kept doing the tryouts every, all, all of them, like for the whole week. And, uh, he never made me run that mile, but I did end up doing pretty well in the rest of the stuff. So when I made the team at the end, uh, of the last 20 people, uh, to me, it was like a miracle and like a sign that, you know, I can't, I can't quit this sport now until everyone else around me on this team quits before me. Like that was my, that was my motivating factor. I was like, if, if I'm, st I have to be the last one standing from this group of people to show that I, you know, I earned my spot and I deserve to be there. So if you don't mind me asking, where did that drive come from? Like, is your family like that? Is there a desire to win in your family? Uh, my dad is a pretty competitive guy, uh, but, you know, never, he was never one to like push me to, to really do, uh, you know, to, to, he was never too overbearing or like really intense. He just wanted me to be happy. My mom was super, super supportive. And uh, as a kid, I was doing a lot of sports and I liked, I liked winning. Uh, I liked competing. Uh, and I just, you know, I had, I had a knack for, for those, those type of sports. So, you know, quick, 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 to, quick muscle fiber. And, uh, I, I, it just translated well. And, uh, it, at one point you start off because you like, you, it's, you're having fun, uh, you know, hitting people over the head with a sword as a kid and not getting in trouble for it. You're actually, you know, getting applauded for it and you're getting encouraged to do it. So it was a very big change of, uh, a senior for me I felt that it was very refreshing you know you could just uh, and, and I was in an all-boys school so we we're all just you know like having a good time and having good fun doing it and uh, it, it turned into a passion that I wanted to get better at and you know when you see some progress it, it sort of fuels you to keep seeing trying to get more progress out of it so it's small incremental steps we get better and better you know you have little small medium small short-term goals and medium-term goals uh and when you see that you could reach them well then you try and think bigger and then how do i get to this next step and then you try and make the right uh the right steps to to to, to keep progressing um 
what was the training like for you? Um, was it, did you have to train, you know, once you got to the level of, you know, really being able to compete and qualify to get to the Pan Am Games? Yeah. Like, like how formalized was your coaching on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So uh, at one point when I, I really, it really got really serious uh, when I turned around 19, uh, 19 years old, I, uh, we, we, we came second uh, at the junior world championship. So it was my last year junior. Junior ends at 19 years old, and then you go into the senior ranks. You could compete senior before, but it's just there's a junior ranking comp- international competitions that ends at 19. So on that last year, we, um, we came second in the world as a team, and uh, it was the first time ever Canada had won a, a medal uh, as a team at a world championships for junior. And uh, right after that point, we got some funding from uh, Own the Podium Canada, where we got a coach from Russia who came just to train four, four of us on, on, who are now entering the senior national team. I was one of the youngest on the team and there was two, three other guys who were already on the senior team and I entered the team then. Uh, and then there was this Russian coach who came to take four of us and just train us full time to try and qualify for 2012 Olympics. Uh, so what happened was I, I would train in the morning uh, then I'd go to school, then I'd go back to training at night. And same thing, and it would happen, you know, five days a week. That's what we do, and then Saturday morning. So it was, it was very, very uh, so it was, you know, it was, it was two hours in the morning, then two hours at night. Uh, and then, you know, you do that for five days a week, uh, and then a Saturday morning. Uh, and then, you, you know, you try to, try to recover on Sunday and then start it over. It was yeah. It was it was it was between two to three hours. Sometimes the, the night practices were were longer. In the morning, you try to get two hours in, and then because I, I, I was still in school, it was part time. But I was trying to get with my schedule, so nighttime was a little bit more flexible. But uh, we had uh, every minute was was counted, and you had to really be you know driving from one place to the other. Uh, it was very tiring. It's and keeping up with schoolwork, uh, doing your competitions because uh, you know it's it's. I still I still wanted to to. F- keep my my foot in the door in school because it was uh it was uh, it's always good to have a little bit of something else to, to 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 distract you a bit and also because fencing doesn't have a pro career after sports so you that's have to have a plan b right that's right and yeah. like i'm just trying to understand the training a little bit more um just because yeah. i have no experience in that world uh, yeah was there was there a lot of gym work aside from the actual fencing did you have uh so there was there was everything there was um you know so the mornings it would be usually uh one-on-one with your coach uh so an individual lesson where you would do technique you would do tactics you would do attack uh attack uh attack t- uh, tactics defensive tactics because there's a lot of different things you could do in, in a fencing match on your opponent's different and you have to have uh, different tactics for different situations. Uh, so you do that for, for about 45 minutes, one-on-one, then you'd go to the gym, uh, you know, have different plyometric exercises, uh, different types of, uh, you know, core exercises, sprints, things like that. Uh, then you do, you know, you'd go to school, then come back at night and it would be, uh, sort of scenarios you'd be put in with your, with your teammates, different scenarios that, that would happen, that could happen that you'd have to practice in attack and defense, uh, and then you do matches. Then you fence against each other. You know, 15-point bouts. Uh, sometimes with themes, like you know, you could only attack to this particular spot, or if you do this type of uh, parry, you get more points. Just to try and you know 
encourage you to, to do something different, to build your game. And then sometimes it'll just be free fencing. Just, you know, you just want to win now. Just do whatever it takes to win. Uh, and then you do, we'd also do simulation competitions every, every weekend. Uh, get the, you know, try and recreate the competitive environment. Because, you know, the, the hardest part in competition is that is to translate what you do in practice in competition. And what comes into play that's different is all that the extra pressure and stress that actually eats up at your energy and your decision making. And that sometimes if you don't recreate that in practice enough and you're, it's too laid back or you don't get that extra pressure, well, then it's hard for sometimes some people to translate being good in practice and being good in competitions. That's, that's usually that gap that's hard to fill. So the, mo the most you could recreate that in practice, the better prepared you are in competition, even though it's, it's never the exact same feeling, right? That's right. You know, we talked about there's a knowing and doing gap in performance. And so you just mentioned, I think you kind of hit on it, where I know something, but to do something in the moment is different than knowing. And most people don't, you know, yeah. they do it, but they don't do it. Yeah. And if you can't bridge the gap between the two, you're, you're never going to perform to that level. Now, is creative visualization, um, you know, is that a, how much of a part of your success was that? Uh, we, I did that a lot and, um, yeah, I would do it a lot. Uh, even close, close to my competition, I would, uh, always think of the, the goal of visualization for me was to, to try and bridge that gap of, you know, on game day, you don't let external things add extra stress to you. You've already sort of gone through them in your head. Right. So that's, that was the point of it was for me is that you don't want to get to a, a competition date and get rattled by things or getting thrown off your game by unexpected situations or not know what your routine is going to be. And then that stresses you out because you don't know what time you're supposed to do anything. So all those things are what sort of add onto game day. And that that's when you sort of get to the, the time to perform and you've already sort of depleted some of your mental energy for nothing. Uh, so what visualization would, would do for me was I would, you know, think of my whole, you know, preparation for a competition, uh, the day of, you know, the morning I would, you know, put everything, put, see myself getting ready, going to eat breakfast, going to do all that, the normal stuff. Then I would see myself, you know, get warming up, how I'm going to do more, what time I'm going to warm up exactly knowing when my match is going to be. Uh, and then even being in a match, uh, you know, seeing myself do, do some actions that I, that I do well, that I, I see myself doing, uh, seeing myself lose points. And then how do I react to that? Uh, because that's, that's also what a big mental drainer in, in fencing, um, in saber, you know, fencing, first of all, has three weapons, saber, epi, and foil. And those are completely different sports in themselves. And so mine is called the saber and in saber, it's the most subjective one. So the referee has a lot of input on whose point it is. It's not just when the light goes on, it's, it's whoever light went on is their point. He has, you have to have the, the attack priority. So it's a little bit complex to get into right now, but the, the point is, when the referee makes a mistake or you think he made a mistake and you think you did everything right, you did it, you executed perfectly. It should be your point And it goes to the opponent. Uh, you, it's very easy to get rattled, get upset, uh, you know, argue with the ref or ask him why not understanding. And then it throws you off your own game. Uh, and, and those moments are what's important to visualize because, uh, how you react after those moments uh, could determine if you lose or win the match. Because if you give away another two easy points because you're frustrated and upset and you just try to get it back quickly, you end up doing things that you didn't really think through. Um, and, and that's what visualizing really helps. It's like, okay, what you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to be a mistake. How are you going to deal with it? What are you going to do? How are you going to get back into your, your, your on-guard position in a neutral mindset ready for the next point? Uh, and that's, that's the, one of the biggest challenges. And, and at the highest levels, that's what the best guys do. They're able to overcome those, yeah. Wow. And so how much of your training would you have 
um, given over to visualization? Was it a daily ritual that you performed in your own mind? Yeah, so you tried it. It was it was sometimes hard on a, on a, on a daily basis, even though we tried because sometimes you get so caught up in you know all the doing all the you know the technical things, the physical training, trying to sleep well, doing your, your you know uh, getting everything ready that it was we didn't at the time we didn't actually have a dedicated sports psychologist. So it was something that we started doing on our own. Then I, eventually I, I, I got one on my own and started implementing it more. But at the time it was, it was because we were training so much on that. It's like that part was sort of neglected. And, and it was also a time where I think it was less um, prevalent and people knew less how important it was in, in around the 2012, you know, years. Um, but it's definitely become such a big part of what, what is important, how you speak to yourself, uh, in a match, how, what you tell yourself determines how your body's going to react. It's, it's so, uh, it seems, you know, far-fetched, but it actually, it, it's very important how you think to yourself, what you tell yourself, uh, it, it, it actually has an impact on your performance. So it's such a big part that is often overlooked as, you know, you, you have to train your brain, like you train your body and you can't just do it, you know, once every three weeks and think it's going to work. And then, uh, maybe that was something that, you know, in 2012, uh, I was lacking a bit more of because I, you know, it, it sometimes I would have a really good result during, you know, do a really good result. And then sometimes be inconsistent and have a bad result. And I would, you know, I wouldn't understand why. And it was, it was hard to find consistency, even though I would have like sometimes very good and sometimes very bad. So, uh definitely like you learn a lot from those situations and you see what actually uh works and doesn't work if you look back today on your career which you should be immensely proud of like yeah. i mean i'm blown away i mean top 30 in the world get chosen to go to the olympics yeah. um i mean that's an outstanding accomplishment so hopefully you thank do, you <laughs> thank you, you revel yeah. that. um if you look back today is that, I know I'm kind of harping, you know, really focusing on the visualization, but um, in the business world or sales or whatever it is, I find that most people just, you know, they just go start trying to do and not really create a, create a vision of what they really, really, truly want. Yeah. Playing it out in their mind. So if you look back now, do you think that if you were to redo it again, would that be a bigger part of your training regime? Yeah, for sure. And I, and I would get, I would get someone uh, earlier in my career to help be guide in, in, in that guide, that, that aspect of it. Uh, because some people are like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. You know, you tell yourself some things, but it, there's actually a, a science behind this. It's not uh, it's not voodoo stuff. So uh, there's, there's, there's so many research papers, uh, best practices, uh, things people have learned from other, other athletes, other, other experiences and, and, and the sports psychologists or mental preparation coaches, um, you know, it's, 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 it's actually scientifically based, you know, and, and it's something that I would have liked to have started even earlier in my career. Uh, definitely. And I, I encourage any athlete or anyone who wants to achieve something, you, you need to have that as part of your arsenal. Yeah. We, um, what we find, actually, I was on a, doing an interview with the former number one, um, agent for Remax worldwide. Okay. And, um, he supports hundred percent everything that you're saying. I know he, um, you know, he, he starts his day off one with gratitude, prayer, and really seeing where he's going, really visualizing how it's going to play out in his mind. And each and every single day is a brand new day. He lets yesterday go away. It doesn't exist anymore. And it's all about today and focus and really 
you know, intentional in everything that he does in visualizing the morning. Um, you know, hearing you say that, you know, top tier athlete, global athlete, who, who, who's just relaying how important visualization of what you're trying to attain is, is it's, it's great to hear. Yeah, because it sort of, it gives you, uh, you know, if, if you see it happen in your mind, first of all, it's the first step to you believing it could happen. Like it's the first step. And then you sort of just let you guide yourself in that area because you've seen an image and it's like everything sort of subconsciously pushes you towards that, that image. And, and, and if, even if it doesn't go exactly as that, what perfect vision you have in your head, it brings you towards that spot real close, you know? And, right. uh, and, and I think it's, it, it was also something I, I heard from a speech from um, uh, the astronaut, uh, Chris, Chris, Hat, Chris Hatfield, right? It's Chris Hatfield who came back and he said, you know, visualizing for success is important, but also uh, visualizing for failure. So visualizing what, like, you know, a little bit like what I said is, you know, astronauts have to visualize everything that could possibly go wrong and how you would solve it and go through it in your mind. So when it happens, it's, it's not such a shock. So if anyone who is afraid of failing or fear of failing, see yourself, you know, even having a, not having success and how you, how you would react if you hit an obstacle in your business or whatever it is, uh, how will you push back from that? What would you do in that moment if it happened to you? So when it does happen, you're less of shock and you know wondering how to how to how to cope with it, and you just go into solution mode because you've already been through it and you know you're ready for this. You know, that's right. I've, some of the research that I've seen is that almost 95% of who we are and what we do on a daily basis is is habitual. Yeah, and we only actually consciously think maybe five percent of the day. 95% of what everything we do is habitual. And so if we don't consciously choose the direction that we're going, we will just continuously stay in that habit for the yeah. rest. Yeah. And, and you, it, it's, it, when you develop a bad habit, it's very hard to break. So it's, it's better to start with developing good habits first. Right. Uh, I think, I think it's easier to develop good habits than to break bad habits. I, you know, I got a few bad habits. I'm working. Yeah, on. <laughs> I know. But I mean, anyone will tell you like so, some bad habits that, you know, let, let's say smoking, let's say, right. Well, it's a typical example. So, you know, it's bad for you. You know, it's killing you and people, you still can't stop it. Just, it becomes a habit becomes ingrained in your, like the way your brain works and the, your body need, like, it acts. It's, it's because it's more than just, uh, just something you, you, you could just turn off. You really have to focus on it and really concentrate because it affects your whole body. So better start with good habits and try to keep those and, and try to and go down this road of not thinking, just doing whatever, and then trying to break those bad habits. I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a better start. A hundred percent. Um, when you look at the difference between someone in your world who was, um, who made it to your level versus somebody who played with it and didn't get to your level, what, what is that difference? What, what, like, what was the difference between both of you? So, yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of things. Uh, well, first of all is, um, I had a certain talent in it initially, right? Initially the talent, but a lot of people had talent too, initially. Uh, second thing is that I, I wanted to get better and I was putting the efforts to get better when, when I saw, when I saw was, you know, I had some talent, so that gave me some more motivation and I wanted to get better at it. And I saw that when I would put in the effort, I would get better at it. So I kept, I kept doing more, uh, but that's still not enough because there's other people in that same boat. Right. But the, the most important part is when I would get through huge obstacles or something really bad, it's how, why do you keep going? And 
I would always ask myself, okay, why would I want to continue after having this really bad injury or this huge setback or, you know, not a bad year. And, you know, the why was always because, you know, I felt like I still had stuff to prove to myself in the sport. And I could, and I felt like I could be even better and I liked, and I liked doing it. So I was always asking myself that question and always going back to, you know what, there's still guys in this uh, that are active that were from my first year when I started. And I said, I wouldn't stop before these guys are all done. So that was another reason I would keep going. Right. But at the end of the day, it's just because I kept going and I had all those other factors around, you know, the talent, the hard work, but mostly because you persevere and you keep going through these obstacles. At the end, people just start falling. Like they, they, they get distracted. They give up. They don't want to do it anymore. They, they, they lose the, the, the passion. And I just kept finding ways to keep finding ways to keep going. And eventually it, you break through and you, you get to that next level. Uh, but that's, that's 90% of, of the secret, like the, just that perseverance, right? So you said you, you had a desire. Yeah. You have to have a desire for it. Yeah. Uh, kind of a why that you created in your own mind. Yeah. Why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, you had some obstacles that came up and I do want to talk about your big obstacle. Yeah. Um, and then you had to dig back deep into your why to get past the obstacle. Yeah. Right. And then you had to be accountable to your word because you said you were going to do something. Yeah. And then it, it, it would be a very big, it would be a very big betrayal to myself if I did it, you know, it's like a, it would be a big, you know, an internal battle and it, it, I wouldn't be able to, to like be okay with it. You know, where did you learn that one? Cause that that's called, you know, integrity, giving yourself a command and then being able to follow through with that, that command, regardless of the circumstances. Yeah. That's not common. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. And it, it, it was really based on the fact I truly believed I was given a, a, a small miracle that I couldn't squander until I felt I, I, I earned the right to be like, okay, I could stop now, you know, or like that. I, I felt like I, I had to give it something happened there that let me get through and uh, I couldn't squander that opportunity. It is just, it's like something that you have to keep reminding yourself that, and that gives you like extra fire in those tough moments, right? It's, you need something to fall back on. And, and that gives you like, that's why I'm doing it. You know, that's why I'm doing it. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So, um, so you had a challenge, major challenge in the course of your career. Yeah. Uh, um, it's not too uncomfortable to talk about, but what happened and how did you get through it? Yeah. So the, the biggest one I went through was, uh, was in 2014. I, uh, I had a, um, I was getting ready. Uh, I had just graduated. I had finished university and I was trying to make a second run at the uh, Olympics because I didn't actually qualify in, in 2012. Right. I, I didn't make it. So I was going all in. I had finished university and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going at it. Going to try and make it. And I was training to make the, for the world championships in the summer uh, of 2014. And what happened was uh, we were doing a cross training activity with other fencers that we were, it was part of our, you know, training, like want to do a small cross training, work some other muscles uh, with boxing, which is, you know, it's good, good activity, but um, it was just very badly, poorly managed by the person who was doing it for us. He put like random fencers in the ring with each other and just said, gave us some big gloves and said, here, try and do some, some light sparring for fun to see what it's like. And, you know, I felt uncomfortable in the moment, but I, I, you know, I, I was like, oh, everyone else was doing it. And, uh, you know, the, the guy assured us it was not going to be a problem because the gloves were really big. And, you know, but anyway, I, I had a really bad feeling. I didn't want to do it. And I ended up doing it. And I, uh, I was in against another fencer who was uh, a bigger guy. And, you know, he, he saw we were hitting each other and he hit me across the head too. But I, I got like an immediate headache. 
and I realized something was not right anymore. Uh, so I stopped and uh, th that ended up, that headache ended up turning into, you know, the, one of the worst uh, moments of my life for, uh, for six months. I was, uh, I had a bad concussion that I had symptoms that were not going away and I was seeing a uh, specialist three times a week, uh, all sorts of different specialists, different therapies. Uh, I couldn't go outside, couldn't work out. Uh, I couldn't be in, with, uh, in a room with like four people because it was too loud couldn't sleep. I had insomnia. I pretty much had every symptom uh, that, that I had tinnitus in my ear, constant ringing. Uh, so pretty much every symptom you could get. So instead of being training full time, like everyone else in the world was to try and make qualifying, I was in my bed looking at a ceiling and, and going to getting lifts to go to the, the doctor, trying to find, I had to see different doctors to try and figure out what was going on. Some people didn't know what, the, what it was. They didn't know how to deal with it because concussions are are so uh so abstract and it's everyone deals with them differently so if you really don't see specialists who know what they're doing people could just be like oh it'll be fine in a week and sometimes it is and sometimes it leaves and then comes back and, and that's what happened to me if i thought i was fine for a bit came back into training got even worse symptoms a week later and then i was out for for months and uh that really changed my whole perspective on on, on life and uh my just when I was able to get out of that, which took like a good, you know, seven months, six months, I was, I was back starting to slowly to train. I wasn't even thinking about the Olympics anymore. I was just so grateful to be back, to be, be able to have a normal, like be a normal person and be able to be, get the, even more of a privilege, be able to fence again. And I was just super grateful to be back on the strip. And I wasn't even thinking about results anymore. I was just thinking about just, you know, go through this process, whatever happens, happens, but just be grateful for it. And, and whatever happens, happens. And uh, I ended up recovering and, and getting some of my form back uh, quickly uh, and was able to, to pull out some really good results at the end of the Olympic qualification uh, and, and managed to qualify at the, at the last second for, for Rio. So it was, it was from, from the worst period of my life to like the best time of my life within the same year, uh, same year and a half, uh, which was, uh, you know, I, I went through every type of emotion because, you know, I'm talking about it now and it's like, yeah, it was six months, but you don't have a timeline when you're in a concussion. I, I thought I'd never recover and I still have symptoms to this day. Uh, but you know, I thought I'd never be able to wake up every day with a headache. You can't look at your phone. It hurts your eyes. You can't, you can't watch TV. It hurts. Like you can't work out. You start getting headaches. Uh, you can't take a walk outside. You get dizzy. Like it was, everything was, was on hold. Everything was shut down from, from, from my, my functions. I said, I, I don't even care about fencing anymore at that point. I was like, I just want to become a, a normal person again. And just being able to do what other people do is so satisfying and gratifying when you come back from it that you realize, you know, puts things in perspective. So, and it sort of helped me fall in love again with my sport at the time, find, you know, the why and all that, that was able to, to really reconnect with it and uh, just, just being grateful for everything after that. So, Taught me a lot and, you know, unfortunately, a very hard way. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I would probably wish it never had happened to me, but uh, you can't really, you know, go back and change it. So you have to find what you could learn from it. And that's, that's the only thing you could do uh, going forward. And so you're still having symptoms today? Yeah, the, mostly uh, the rigging in the ear, tinnitus uh, at night. Could hear it. Uh, and it's always like a little reminder uh, in a way. Absolutely. Uh, and say, hey, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, maybe, you know, it, it, maybe it's a reminder to, you know, when you feel something's wrong, you, you could say no and, you know, don't give into, you know, you should, or like think you have a, you get your ego, get in the way, your pride, like, you know, I should have just not done that activity and just said, no, this is not, I don't feel like it's safe. I don't think I should do it. 
but I think uh, maybe that's what it's a reminder of and the lesson you should learn from that as well, right? It's, it's okay to say no and then stand your ground and don't get it. They'll get balled up with what everyone else is doing. It doesn't matter if, if you have that voice in your head and it's, something's holding you back, just don't do it. You know? So sometimes our, our, our ego gets in the way our pride or, you know, all that stuff. And uh, it's a good reminder that uh, you could really pay for that in, in other ways. Listen to yourself is the lesson of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I really think it is. I really think it is that little voice and that little voice. So is there an age limit? Like is, is that, is that it? Are you done with the game? Is, is that, is there an opportunity there or have you thought about it? I'm not sure what kind of age limits there are. No, the, the age limits are not, uh, are not, uh, too, too. I mean, you could you peak in fencing, you could peak at 28, 29, 30, um, even more if you're good because you, you combine everything it takes a long time because you could you could be a really physical guy young and athletic but if you you don't know how to apply the right actions at the right time against different opponents different distances tempos uh different people coming at you with different tactics like you have to be able to adapt to your opponents right that, that everyone's a different fight so every match is different uh and and that comes with experience dealing with referees dealing with bad calls dealing with uh, you know being down three four points coming back be, dealing with being ahead and closing out the match and all those things are built with experience uh over the years so it could be a quick young guy but if you don't have any of that experience in competitions like you're gonna get smoked by the older guys who are who, are, who could put everything together so uh i've still I've, I've still been active i i i what i did was a year and a half ago i i decided to to try and come keep making a run for it but i at the same time i i didn't want to go a hundred percent all in at this time because funding was was non-existent i didn't want to get in debt you know 40k a year just on fencing you know without any other expenses uh and so i found a way to get a job uh work and also be flexible enough that i could leave the job is full time though, so it's it's been a real challenge. It's another, it's been a whole other challenge this cycle to try and, and, and make an Olympic qualification because I'm the only one in the world, uh, and at least fencing uh, I know uh, that is working full time and still tr- competing, trying to make the Olympics. So it was it was a heck of a of a change of of lifestyle. It was it was it was way easier when I was doing school and training, but work and training was is a whole other whole other ball game. So it's it's been a whole other lessons that I learned, but uh, it's been it's been it's been satisfying but very difficult. Um, so maybe that's something we should uh, throw out that GoFundMe campaign. Yeah, exactly. That's that's I, I I was I was always thinking of doing that, and I said, you know what, I'm I'm gonna find my own way around it. But uh, it could it could definitely help. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to give um, any athlete in whatever sport they're in any advice to help them get to that level what what's the three top things that you would tell them they have to either be do be or do to to get to that level yeah uh, i mean it's it's you know different uh you know different sports require different aptitudes like all physical aptitudes but everything's pretty much the same and what i said is that you have to you have to have the passion to, to do it uh, because you're going to always have hard times and you have to always know why, why you're doing it and, and doing it for the, for, for the right reasons. You know, sometimes we get, 
you know, you, you get into like a routine and a habit and even a sport can become just a habit you're just doing and that's what you know. But if you don't actually have it with a purpose and why you're doing this, like you'll become, you'll become flat and you won't, be, you won't be looking to get better. You won't be looking to improve. So you need to always find ways to keep yourself passionate about it and, and, and remind yourself why, why you're doing this. Uh, second would be just uh, perseverance, uh, total, total perseverance, uh, because even the best guys in the, with the most talent who are the, 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 the fastest, strongest, every single Olympian or athlete I've ever met has had stories of, uh, of, of obstacles that they overcame. Uh, and, and that's usually the difference between someone who made the Olympics, someone who didn't, it's just, they just kept going. They found ways around it. They recovered, they came back and they just never saw it as an obstacle, but an opportunity to, to, to overcome something. That's, that's just how they frame it. The way they frame it is, is how they, they're able to come, come out of it better. So when I got to the Olympics, everyone had some kind of crazy story and it was, it was incredible. So uh, it was just like, a, you know, a Disneyland of stories. And uh, it, it, was, it was actually a weird, uh, what a weird world, what a bubble, you know? Right. Uh, and, and third, I'd say, um, yeah, just in, you have to, you have to, you have to have passion, but like, and enjoy the process uh, more than uh, trying to attain that goal. Because if you know, if I learned that as well. Because in 2012, I didn't make the Olympics, right? And it was that was a big shock. It was a big hit for me. Uh, and at the time, it it sort of defined my whole identity. And I said to myself, I failed because I didn't make the Olympics. But I forgot, you know, that I had traveled the world. I had made international friends. I had made, I got medals at international competitions. I had the first time ever getting a world championship medal in the history of Canada. Uh, I was in the top 30 in the world at that time as well. And I didn't go because of, uh, anyway, it's a long story. But it, it, I was still in the top guys in the world. And all that stuff would, was became worthless to me because I didn't qualify for the Olympics. And at the time, uh, it, 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 was, it was devastating, and I, I reoriented a lot of my priorities after that. But then Rio came along, right, and I qualified for Rio. But I went through all the, that real crap in between that made me reframe of all the, everything, how I thought. So I qualified, I went, and, you know, I, my moment at the Olympics was over in 15 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, yes, you become an Olympian, it's amazing. But the journey, the, the things I learned and overcame is really the person that you become. And if I'd qualified for you or not, I was the exact same person. Like, it was, it's just because, you know, qualifying for Rio is such a subjective, you know, the Olympic committee decides there's a certain number of spots because you can't fit everybody in a village. So the sports, uh, you know, the way it's done is just such a subjective way of determining someone's worth. It makes no sense, right? Uh, but you know your worth because you're the same person whether you went to the Olympics or not. And everything you learn, that's what you take with you everywhere else after. So you can't, and it's, you can't let a goal define who you are. It has to be that process that you have to enjoy. And when you attain a goal, you always want to attain another one. You're never happy, but you become better by finding those new goals because they make you become a better, stronger person in, in every sort of way. So that's, that's something I would tell them. That is the most amazing piece of advice. You yeah. have to love the process. It's not about the outcome. If you don't enjoy the process every single day, why yeah. you'll never get to that level anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you won't. You won't. That's awesome advice. You inspire me. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, like thank you. you inspire me to want to pursue more, to get better, to to not stop, to push towards something that I really truly want. And I appreciate you um, taking the time to to give of yourself, right? And that message. Um, will impact someone's life tremendously. Well, that's 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 what you could hope for, right? At the end of this too, is like you know, I 
I didn't just, you know, do this for 15 years to learn how to hit people over the head with a sword, right? It's, it's so much more that you learn on the way. And, and if you could pass that on after, well, that creates so much more than just what your sporting career could have done and limit the number of years that you could do that. You could keep giving for years and all your life after that everything you've learned. So that's even more important later on than anything you've accomplished, any medal you've won or it, that's just hardware. Right. But like being able to do that and, and it, it also helps me because it helps me frame everything I learned and tell myself, okay, well, what did I learn? What, what can I apply to my life and what can I help others know about? And it actually, it's fulfilling even more than any kind of result, you know? That's amazing. You should literally consider though, the GoFundMe campaign. <laughs> I know. Like, like I I'm know. listening to you and how old are you now? 29 29 now you need to do this now <laughs> i know like right now whatever help you need we'll figure yeah. out a way to help you you know yeah. we'll, we'll promote the funding because um I, i'd love to see you make another run yeah oh well hopefully it'll we'll see how it is i i i started the year uh when i started fencing again like to try and make the the, the olympics I, I was 400th in the world because i'd taken a break after the real olympics to, to go work and i was working in toronto actually and uh when i came back i was 400th and now i'm back in the the top 30 in the world on the 30th right now so uh it was it was a and with with working i have to admit it's it's been a huge challenge i got some injuries this year didn't have an with work i don't have a lot of time to do that extra stuff like the right physio the right massage therapy the right yeah. you know you're just like trying to do what you have to do to stay active but all that extra stuff and and i saw it i felt it you know this year was it was tough <laughs> sorry yeah, I was 400 when I got back in. Now I'm in the top 30. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. out there at the end of the interview. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, crazy. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You're so humble, but yeah. to go. <laughs> so you started back when? Sorry. Yeah, so it was uh, November, uh, I'd say November 2018. November 2018. So that's that's hundred ranked in November eighteenth. Yeah, in the last, you know. So, so yeah, year and a half, year and a half. Yeah, came back. Yeah, it was uh, it was a heck of a heck of a year, and it was it was well. The working full time part is the hard part because time time is so precious. After that, to try and I try to train some mornings that I had off. Then I go at nights to train, and then I leave for three weeks for competitions. Then I come back to like flurries of emails and things you have to deal with, but you still have to keep training uh it's uh i know why nobody else is doing it in the world now that's i learned that that's another lesson i learned like trying to have a social life while you're yeah uh yeah it's 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 really tough a lot of things have gone by the wayside you know i guess one thing to consider is that this time will go away yeah and exactly you can't go back you no know, the clock doesn't stop for anyone no and exactly time period is over you can't go back you know i'm at i'm at a certain age now and uh, you know you know, you can't go back. And so, no, I know. Yeah. That's why you can. Yeah. That's what you have to do. And a lot of people told me the same thing, you know, so we'll see how this goes now. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you for your message today. I know for sure it's going to impact some people dramatically. I hope, I hope so. I hope so. It will. And, uh, and we'll keep in contact. And I think you should seriously consider the GoFundMe campaign. And uh, maybe we should touch base after this and have a real conversation about that. All right, cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I hope, uh, hope you guys uh, uh, enjoyed it. I had a good time. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you so much for being you and have an yeah. amazing day. And um, thanks for taking the time again. Cool. 
Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you are fit to work with Peak Results Academy, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to peakresultsacademy.com slash call. That's peakresultsacademy.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what do you really want out of life and your business? Number two, what is not working for you today? And number three, the exact strategy you should be using to create massive change in these areas. Remember, changing your life and creating massive results does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We're helping clients all over the world create peak results in their health, in their businesses, and in their personal lives. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to peakresultsacademy.com slash call. We'll chat soon.